Hey there and welcome to Soul Church. Our prayer is that this message encourages you wherever you may be in life. You know, we've been hearing so many stories about what God is doing in people's lives and we'd love to hear yours. So take a second and send your story to stories at soulchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us today and we hope that you enjoy the message. God bless. Who's ready to hear from God? Who's watching online and needs to hear from God? Well, I've got good news. God wants to meet with you. He wants to meet with you. You may, you may or may not want to meet with him, but let me tell you, he wants to meet with you. With you. I'm going to read from Psalm 3, and then we're going to pray. So you're ready to focus on, on the word. It says this. The title of this psalm says this. A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Wow. Then it says this. Lord, how they've increased who trouble me. Many are those who rise against me. Many are those who say of me, there's no help for him in God. Selah. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and He heard me. Lord, we want to look to You. We know that You hear us in these moments. Whatever we've been going through, whatever is rising up against us, Lord, we thank you that you are our shield, our glory, and the lifter of our heads. So speak to your people. These are your people, Lord. This is your word. So we ask you to have the first place in this service. In Jesus' name. And everyone said with a bit of passion. Amen. You can take your seats. And thank you so much, team, for doing so brilliant. Great to have you with us wherever you're watching us from. This one's especially for those of you watching online, but everyone in the room too. Question, how tall am I? I'm going to give you three answers. Six foot one, six foot three, or six foot five. You get to vote. All right. Who thinks, and in the chat also, who thinks I'm six foot one? Put a thumb up. All right. No one. Who thinks I'm six foot three? Put your hands up. That's a lot of people. Who thinks I'm six foot five? You are correct, all right? So give them a round of applause. Now, there's a reason I wanted to clarify my height because most of you don't get to meet me. Uh, You see me from this platform or you watch me online, but every week without fail in our church, Someone walks up to me, says hi for the first time, and they go like this and go, oh, you're really tall, aren't you? As if I'm deformed or got some kind of disease. 
Now, there are some people that are unconsciously racist, some that are unconsciously misogynist, and some that are unconsciously heightist, all right? Because I don't go up to you and say, oh, you're really small, aren't you? I don't say you're really fat, but people think that they can say, you're really tall, aren't you? I am six foot five. Now, let me tell you why this is an issue in my life because a standard door in England, all of you that are builders, you will know that a standard door is how high? Six foot six, Sam, you're an architect, you should have known that, all right, six foot six. But the house that I was brought up in was a farmhouse called Lawfield Farm in Rushy Ford. There's gonna be a picture of the outside on the screen and it was built because there's a scratching on a wall inside saying Lawfield 1678. It's been there for over 300 years. And back then, people weren't as tall. And the standard height of a door wasn't six foot six. It was six foot two. In fact, the pantry is five foot eight. I've got a picture. This is not me. This is my brother. This is of the inside. That's the pantry. It's literally five foot eight. So as you can imagine, being a teenager, clumsy, uncoordinated, aren't you? Because your brain hasn't fully developed. Sorry, teenagers. But walking through, I would constantly be hitting my head. Anyone ever hit the head? Some of you have never done that because you're not that tall. But for those of you that have, it hurts. And some of you are looking at me and thinking, oh, he banged his head a lot. That explains why he is the way he is. And sometimes I'll walk through the doors of the church and the observant host team members will say, oh, we notice you duck when you walk through the door. And I do. Because growing up, the house I grew up in, I wanted to protect myself. And yet here I am, 30 plus years later, and I walk through doors which are perfectly safe, but still I subconsciously do this. Some of you may, may not be a physical thing. Maybe it's a psychological thing. But because of the way you were brought up, you walk through certain doors and into certain rooms and your head drops down. Maybe because of the way you were treated, things that were said, people that tr you trusted, and you banged your head, it affected your mind. So you know what it is to subconsciously try and protect yourself. And it's not because you're not good enough to be in the room. It's not because you're not smart enough, but a little voice tells you constantly, you're not good enough. You don't belong here. Have you ever been let down? Have you ever been betrayed by somebody you trusted? Somebody in the Bible who knew what it was to be betrayed was a man by the name of David. He wrote this psalm in Psalm 3, and he gave it this title, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, 
his son. Now, many of you are new to church. You don't know the background to this story, so is it okay if I take a minute to give it to you? It's an absolute ripper of a story. David was the little guy who defeated Goliath. He went on to become the king over the nation of Israel, and he ruled and reigned from Jerusalem. He destroyed every army he ever marched again against. God gave him peace from his enemies, the Bible says. And then in 2 Samuel chapter 12, disaster strikes David's life. He sees a woman bathing nude on a balcony. He invites her over. He commits adultery with her. Then he secretly arranges for her husband to be murdered to protect and cover his tracks. You can't write this stuff. Nothing that the press loves more than a morally bankrupt leader, is there? Imagine this featuring as breaking news on your newsfeed. He thinks that he's done it in silence, but God sends an undercover reporter in the form of a prophet called Nathan who confronts him with grace and truth. David acknowledges his sin and Nathan informs him God is good and he's gracious because he's promised to stick by you forever. He will forgive you. But the truth is, you've made a mess, and when you make a mess, there are consequences. And Nathan says this to David. In 2 Samuel 12, 10 to 12, in verse 11, sorry, he says, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. There's going to be problems from within. Now, you may think, watching online, that your family is pretty crazy. Anyone got a crazy family? Don't put your hand up. They might be watching. But if you think your family is crazy, listen to what happens next. Are you ready for this? Ready for this online? Here we go. 2 Samuel chapters 13 to 16. Let me give it to you in a couple of minutes. David's firstborn son, Amnon, falls in love with his half-daughter Tamar. It's not his half-daughter, it's Amnon's half-sister, Tamar. So Amnon is his firstborn, Amnon's half-sister is Tamar. How many know it's not good when the kids fall in love with each other? She refutes his advances and Amnon ends up raping Tamar. Absalom sees this goes to protect his half-sister and takes her into his home and waits for David the king, the father of the house, to deal with Amnon, and he doesn't. And slowly Absalom's anger towards Amnon begins to bubble, and one day it boils over, and two years later, Absalom murders Ab Amnon in front of the other children. I mean, no, this is a messed up family. Murder incest. Absalom is so scared that David will deal with him that he runs away for three years. The Bible says that David longed to go to Absalom, but he did nothing. He was an absent father. He should have dealt with it, but he didn't. After three years, David's general Joab brings Absalom back to Jerusalem. And for two further years, Absalom is not allowed to go into his father's presence. Absalom's bitterness and anger towards his dad begins to smolder. He starts to conspire against him. He sits outside the gate of the city wall. 
and starts to whisper to people, if I were the king, I wouldn't do it this way. Absalom starts to build an army of followers, not on Instagram, but in real life, and 12,000 men come around him. And he's about to overthrow David. 12,000 men are going to march against David to destroy him. And, and it reaches David's ear and he leaves Jerusalem, crosses the river and writes Psalm 3. The Psalm of David. When Absalom, his son, rises against him. I want you to imagine this. From David's perspective, David sat by the river about to pen these verses. And he thinks to himself, I remember the day Absalom was born. The day I saw him come out of his mother's womb and everyone commented on his hair, his full head of hair. Man, God has blessed me so much with my family. I was a king and he gave me rest. But I wanted Absalom to complete me, so I gave him a very special name, Absalom. There's two Hebrew words there, Ab from Abba means father, Salom from Shalom, it means peace. His name means the father's peace. He was meant to bring me peace, but he's coming after me with a sword. The one that I believed in, the one that I invested in, the one that I dreamed may one day lead my kingdom is now trying to destroy me. Tamar's been raped. Amnon is dead. Now Absalom is trying to kill me. Have you ever been betrayed by someone you love, someone you trusted? Someone you believed in. Someone in your own household. Maybe a spouse that had an affair. They let you down. And your head hung down. The title of my message is, for those of you making notes online, have you ever been betrayed? No wonder David begins with these words. Verse 1, Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are those who rise against me. Many are they who say of me, there's no help, no chance, no hope for him in God. David's about to be hunted down by his own son. Everyone's saying he's not going to get through this one. Not even David. You're thinking, well, David's done it before, hasn't he? When Goliath, the 10-foot giant, rose up, he killed him. What about the Amalekites and the Jebusites? It seemed impossible, but David overcame them. Surely he'll just... It's not always that simple, is it? See, this time it's different. This time it's not a Jebusite, it's not a Philistine. This time it's Absalom, the father's peace. It's his own son. See, when it's those closest to you, it's different, isn't it? 
It's deeper. It's more damaging. But one of the voices that rises against David, listen to this, is his own voice. Because David knows deep down none of this would have happened if he hadn't messed up. Nathan was right. Adversity arose from David's own house, Absalom. David has been betrayed by the one person who it's hardest to forgive. Yourself. David betrayed himself, betrayed his own values, his own principles, his own convictions, betrayed his own wife and family. And David moves from guilt to shame. Guilt says what you've done is not good. Shame says you are no good. You never will be any good. You deserve this. You bought it upon yourself. Ever been there? Ever heard that little voice telling you it's your fault? It's one thing to deal with an Absalom. It's another to deal with your guilt and your shame. Many of those who rise against me, many of those who say of me, there's no help in God. And David's head hangs down. Then one word, one word changes everything. It's this word, Selah. Now, some of you have been around church for a long time. You've heard it. Some of you are brand new. There are two ways of interpreting this word, Selah. Most of us only hear one of them. Selah can be translated, stop, think, and reflect. And it's good to do that. But that's not what it means here. See, Selah can also mean, in Hebrew, lift up. Lift up. It can refer to lifting up your head or lifting up your hands. Many of those who are against me, many of those who say there's no help for him in God, but thank God when his head is down, he has a Selah moment. He starts to lift up his head. David may have lost his throne, but God is still on the throne. And sometimes you've got to look up and look at him. Selah. Selah, lift up your head. Stop looking inwards. Start looking at the immediate and the impossible and start looking at the one who is all-powerful. Selah, then he says this, but you, oh Lord, but you. Where does David go? He goes to the same place he went when he was a child and a lion and a bear came against him, but you, Lord. Where does he go? He goes to the same place he went as a teenager when a 10-foot giant challenged to destroy his nation and, and rip off his head. And David said, nah, I'm not having it, but you, Lord. 
I don't come against you in my might and my strength. I come in his Selah. And right now, when Absalom, his own son, is coming after him with 12,000 men, he goes, Selah, but you, O Lord, are a shield. Where do you go? When your enemies rise against you, when adversity rises against you, but you, Lord, are a shield. Listen to me carefully. He doesn't give you a shield. He is your shield. Let me say that again. He doesn't give you a shield which you would have to hold in your own strength. He is your shield. If anybody wants to get to you and your family, they've got to get through God first to get to you. Why? Because you, O Lord, are a shield to me. Thank God. He's your shield. See, in the first verse, David focused on the size of how many were against him. Many of those who are against me. But after his Selah moment, he's not focused on all that are against him. He's focused on the one who is for him. Romans 8, 31 says, If God be for us, who can be against us? Isaiah 54, 17 says, No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you, you shall condemn. Thank God it doesn't matter what is coming against you. Thank God that He is for you. He's your shield. He's your exceeding great reward. In the middle of lockdown, Dave Field, my friend over here, we've got a boys WhatsApp group. I don't recommend anyone joins it. It is crazy. There is so much nonsense. But one day he sent a picture of the iron missile shield that is used by Israel, that when enemy rockets come against Israel, they've developed this shield. And what they do is they send up countermeasures. And every one of those rockets that tries to land in Israel, it just gets stopped by the iron shield. Thank God it's not even an iron shield. Shield God has given you. He is your shield. He is there between you and whatever stands against you. But you, O oh Lord, are a shield to me. That's point number one. Point number two. Not only is he your shield, it says, but you, O oh Lord, are a shield to me. Secondly, my glory. My glory. What does that mean, my glory? In the ancient world, you're, you could live with two things. You could either live with glory or shame. Glory was a sense of worth and value and esteem. And shame was a lack of all of that. And so people would always try to turn your glory into shame. You lived with one or the other. It's a deep, innate sense of who you are, that you're of worth and that you are of value. We men, we tend to build and attain our sense of worth and value from certain things, from our performance, from our position, from our 
sense of prominence and from our ability to provide. That's what men do. That's why it's so tragic for men when they lose their jobs. They go unemployed. It affects the way they see themselves. And men, we're in a cost of living crisis and women, and we all know it's tough to get through. But David isn't going through a cost of living crisis. He has lost everything. He's lost his throne. He's lost his house. He's lost his palace. He's lost his family. He he lived in honor and prestige, and he ends up on the run from his own son who walked into, if you read the story, Absalom walked into his own bedroom and slept with David's concubines. It was the act of ultimate shame and humility. It doesn't get any worse. What do you do when you've been ridiculed on Instagram? When your stories hit the national tabloids, when a whole nation knows your own son is trying to kill you. David says, but you, O Lord, are a shield to me. You're my glory. You're my glory. Where does he find his sense of worth? Where does he find his self sense of esteem? It doesn't come from how hard he works or from the possession he has. It comes from only one place. And it's a decision we all have to make. It comes from him. You're my glory. You're my glory, God. David would write Psalm 24 verses 7. And eight, it's a beautiful psalm. See, when he's your shield and your glory, it says this in verse seven. It says, lift up, don't know whether we've got the scripture, 24 verse seven says, lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up your heads. You see, he's your shield. He's your glory. And verse 3, he is the lifter of your head. What happens when you make him your shield? What happens when you make him your glory is he will lift up your head. Doesn't matter what's happened to you. Doesn't matter what you've been through. Doesn't matter what people are saying about you. Your head might be hanging down in shame, but he will be the lifter of your head. That's where Psalm 24 comes in. Let me go back to that. Sorry, guys, I changed it. Go back to Psalm 24. It says, lift up your heads, all you gates, and be lifted up. Some of you need to hear this. Some of you have walked into too many doors with your head hang down. Some of you need to learn to lift up your head. It says, be lifted up, you everlasting doors. Why? Because the King of glory shall come in. I said, the King of glory shall come in. He wants to come into your life. He wants to fill you. And he's got more glory than you could ever earn or attain or achieve. So you get to choose. Friend, are you going to live your life with your achievements and your glory, or will you allow the King of glory to come in? Christ in me, the hope of glory. The King of glory, He wants to come in your life. The King doesn't get any better than that. Look at verse 8 Who is 
this King of Glory? What's it like when the King of Glory comes into your life? It says, who is this King of Glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. If you're facing a battle right now, don't rely on your own strength, your own might, because it's not by strength, it's not by might, it's by my spirit, says the Lord, and the Lord is strong and mighty in battle. Whatever battle you're going through, whether it's a financial battle, whether it's a relational battle, whether it's a battle for your family as David was going through, just remember this, but you, O Lord, are my shield. You are my glory and the lifter of my head. One of the things I love about our church is if you stand at the door on the way in and welcome, as I sometimes do, if you look at the body language of people, especially the wonder, when our community come in, they come in and the heads are held down, can't make eye contact. But if you go on the same door, 90 minutes later, people who've been in, in the presence of the king, the presence of the king of glory, and you watch them leave this building, and what you see is that they've lifted up their heads. Why? Because he's your shield. He's your glory, and he is the lifter of your heads. So everyone lift up your heads. What do you see? You see just how much he loves you. He would do that for you. You were that precious to God that he did this. He went to a cross for you. The team are going to come up because we're going to celebrate communion together. Because there's a little part of the communion story that I would love for you all to see. But as the team come up, I'm going to tell you one more story. Is that all right? One more story. Oh, my word. We've run dry. I'm, I'm not going to drink the communion because that would be irreverent. But let me tell you this story. Some, some of you have been around for a long time. You might have heard me tell this story, but I love this story. And um, it's a story about my dad. My dad died five years ago, but I, he was my hero. And one of the reasons... Sharon's trying to get me a drink of water and she couldn't take the top off. But give her a round of applause for trying to help me. You are awesome. Now Nev's taking it off her and he's drinking it. That's not fair, mate. How kind is that? Have they refilled? Come on, give the... I just need a drink so I can feel my voice going. I thought you were drinking my drink. But generosity right there. Some of you know this story. I was 13. If you, knew, if you knew or you're watching online, you may not have heard it. It was actually a defining moment in, in my life from just a crazy thing. I was, I was 13 years of age and after school I went out with my mates and we were just getting up to a bit of mischief on the streets. And I'm from a little place called Rushy Ford, but I was playing in Ferry Hill and we were just messing around and then some other who I thought were friends saw us. 
So I'm like giving them a wave, and the next thing, they started throwing stones at us, like chucking rocks at them. I'm thinking, I thought you were meant to be my friends. So anyway, we did what every self-respecting teenager did. We picked up stones and threw them back, and we were having this stone fight in the middle of the town. And it was all good for about five minutes till I picked up a stone. And it wasn't one of those nice round stones like David threw at Goliath. It was jagged. I just wasn't thinking, so I threw it at these kids. But of course, it was jagged, so what do jagged stones do? It started to swerve. And there was a car coming up the road. <laughs> you know what happened, don't you? Went straight through the car windscreen. So of course, what happened next? We ran. We all just legged it, scarpered, just things happen. Two hours later, I walked home. We'd all forgotten it. A different car on the drive and it's got a blue light on it. So I go inside and mom and dad sit me down. The police talk to me. I realized those little rat bags grasped on me. They betrayed me by throwing stones and now they grass me up to the cops. You're not meant to do that, are you? But what was worse was not that. It's the fact that I loved my mom and dad. They were great parents. And I just let them down. Brought shame on my family. Wish I hadn't done it. You ever felt like that? The police, it's the only time I've ever been arrested, by the way. But I did, I got... I had to go to the cop shop and I had to pay a hundred pounds. Now, I didn't have a hundred pounds. I'm only 13 at the time in the Northeast. But I worked for my dad on the farm. I would milk the cows five o'clock in the morning. Got a pound an hour. So I'm thinking, right, that's a hundred hours. And I started to plan how hard I would work to repay. My dad was a very gracious man, very godly man. And I think he knew that I'd learned my lesson already. He said to me, it's okay, Steve. He said, I'm going to pay it for you. What is communion all about? It's about the fact that, friend, you messed up. You threw the stone. We've all sinned. We've all done wrong things. But our Father in heaven said, hey, I'll cover it. I'm willing to pay the debt that you cannot pay because I love you. I love you. And the Apostle Paul talks about this. He talks about this act of communion and maybe you can just take your emblems. Just prepare them. If you want to make it easier, what you've got to do is just snap that front bit down. Hopefully you've got the emblems at home. But as you take out the bread, let me read to you. For some of you, you know this scripture. For others, it's brand new. It's 1 Corinthians 11, 23. It says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. Everyone zoning in to this next verse. Are you ready? ready to hear this? 
says that the Lord Jesus, on the same night, the same night in which he was betrayed. See, Jesus knows what it is to be let down. He knows what it is to be betrayed. Judas sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. His disciples scarpered and left him. And Peter, the one that said, I'll never let that happen to you, denied ever knowing. Jesus was left abandoned and alone. And on the very night in which he was betrayed, he didn't react. He didn't get angry. He didn't get ticked at the disciples. In that very moment, he took the bread. He said, my body is about to be broken. On the night he was betrayed, the light of his love shone brightest. He says, I do this for you, Pete. I do this for you, Ralph. I'm going to allow my body to be broken for the people who through all eternity have betrayed God. Every sin was against me, but in this moment, I, Miriam, I'm going to take the punishment that you deserve because I love you with an everlasting so my friend, this bread, it represents his body broken for you. He was betrayed so you can be accepted. He was beaten up so you can be whole. So let's take this together and celebrate his body broken for you. this cup represents something so beautiful. The time I walk through a doorpost, I bow my head. In the Bible is a story about doorposts. It's in the book of Exodus. The children of Israel were to march from bondage in Egypt to freedom. The last thing God said take a lamb put the blood on the doorpost because you're about to leave a house of bondage and oppression and betrayal you're about to walk into a promised land freedom we're going to put the blood on the doorpost over your life whatever happened to you in the house where you were raised whatever's been done to you and said to you over the doorpost today you're going to walk free why? because Jesus paid a price to forgive you to free you so you no longer have to bow your head every single one of you can lift up your head 
because he is your shield. He is your glory. And he is going to be the lifter of your head. So let's remember Jesus' blood. Let's put it on the doorpost. Let's remember what he did for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Friend, just because people have let you down, don't give up on a God who never will. He never will. I'd like us all to stand together. We're going to sing a beautiful song. If you can pass your cups to the side. We're going to sing a beautiful song as an act of worship, but I'm going to give you some homework. This homework is for you in the room. It's for you online. Here's your homework. Every time you walk through a door this week, every time you hear the enemy try and blame you or shame you, here's what I want you to do. Are you listening? I want you to recite this verse. But you, O Lord, are a shield to me my glory and the lifter of my head. And then what I want you to do is I want you to lift up your head and I want you to put your shoulders back because He is your shield. He is your glory and He is the lifter of your head. So we're going to sing and respond to Jesus. So would you say la with me? Come on, why don't you lift up your hands? Why don't you... Lift up your voice and let's sing this song together. Gonna make it through. No matter what's come against you. But you, O oh Lord, are a shield. My glory and the lifter of my head. Remember your homework this week, church. Every door you walk through, you quote that scripture. Maybe you're listening to me in this room or online and you've never invited the King of glory to come into your life. Because that's what it means to be a Christian. It's not about being a perfect person. You can never be that. It's about saying, Jesus, would you come in and help me? Would you forgive me of my past? Would you give me meaning and purpose for today? and an eternal hope for my future. Say, Steve, how do I do that? You pray a prayer. I prayed that prayer as a 13-year-old in a youth camp. It changed me. Come on, how many of you have prayed that prayer? Let me, let me see your hand. If you've prayed that prayer, look all across this room. You'll never regret it. We would love to give you the opportunity to get right with God. Maybe you once were, but you've drifted away. The good news is he still loves you, friend. And today, in this moment, wherever you are, wherever you're watching from, you can come back by inviting the King of glory to come in. So I'd love to, I'd love the honor, it would be my greatest honor today to pray with anyone who wants to get right with God, whether it's for the first time or whether today you're coming home. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna ask everyone to bow your heads. Between you and God, friend, it's a personal moment. I'm going to count to three. When I count to three, if you say, Steve, would you pray for me? Then just slip up your hand. And then together, we're all going to pray a prayer together. We're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to call you out, but I would love to 
to know who I'm praying for. God loves you, friend. He'll be your glory and the lifter of your head. So if you want to get right with God, when I count to three all across this room, online, let us know in the chat. When I count to three, you raise your hand. Are you ready? One, two, three. That's it. Just slip it up all across this building. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Beautiful. So good. Come on, let's really celebrate. This is the greatest decision. So why don't you repeat after me? Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. To forgive all my sin and failures so that I can have a brand new start. Please come into my life and forgive me of my sin. And help me by the power of the Holy Spirit to trust and live for you. Father, for every person that prayed that prayer right now, may the King of glory come in and transform them and be with them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, one more time. Let's congratulate those people. If you raised your hand or you prayed that prayer, Please come and see us. We'll have team out in the Connect Lounge outside. They'll be holding the Bible. This is for you. They came to meet you. We just want to help you and celebrate this decision. So make sure you go up to the team into the Connect Lounge. And lastly, I touched on some very raw and personal things today in my preaching. And one of the things we have is an amazing prayer team. And they stand at the front here. And if things were... You know, triggered on the, on the inside, you think, I just would love someone to pray with me. If you've been betrayed and things have gone on in your world, then please just come to the front. And our team are here. They would love to just join with you and bring God into your situation. And church, from now on, whenever you go through a doorway, remember, He's your shield. He's your glory. And He is the lifter. Thanks again for tuning in. And if you said the salvation prayer today, we'd love for you to email connecttofaith at soulchurch.com so we can talk to you a little bit more about this incredible decision that you've just made. Yeah, you know, and if at any point in the service you felt moved to give towards any of our local or global initiatives, then head to soulchurch.com and click on the giving at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us today. And we hope to see you again soon. God bless.